You're listening to 3 and 30 Takeaways for Moms, episode 128. How to get your kids to play outside and why it matters. Welcome to 3 and 30, a podcast for moms who want to create more meaning in motherhood. Each 30-minute episode will feature three doable takeaways for you to try at home with your family this week. I'm your host, Rachel Nielsen. Thank you so much for being here. Over three years ago, long before I'd started 3 and 30 and really headed down the path of diving into parent education resources, I attended a presentation put on by my son Noah's kindergarten about the importance of outdoor play for kids. Like most moms, I already believed outdoor play was a good idea for my kids and tried to prioritize it when I could. But the presentation that night honestly blew me away. The presenter was a pediatric occupational therapist named Angela Hanscom, who explained in detail the ways that different systems of the body develop when kids are allowed to play and adventure outside, to run and jump and carry stuff and climb. She went on to present alarming data on how this generation of children is struggling much more than children in the past with gross and fine motor skills and other essential development of the body systems simply because they aren't playing outdoors as much. I left the presentation feeling determined to make outside play a more central part of our family's culture, and though we haven't always been great about this in the years since, her presentation has always stayed with me, and whenever I start to feel like it's just too hard to convince my kids to go outside and play, I think about Angela's work and I recommit to making it happen. I'm so thrilled to have Angela Hanscom on 3 and 30 today to give this community a taste of the presentation that has stayed with me for all these years. Like I already mentioned, Angela is a pediatric occupational therapist as well as a mother of three and the founder of Timbernook, an award-winning developmental and nature-based program that has gained international popularity. She's also the author of Balanced and Barefoot, How Unrestricted Outdoor Play Makes for Strong, Confident, and Capable Children. I can't wait for you to hear my conversation with her. But first, it's a new month, which means I get to introduce you to a new amazing company that's supporting 3 and 30. Our sponsor for May is Revolution Math, an innovative online program designed to help second to fifth graders develop their math skills and an overall love of learning. When I heard that school would be at home and online for the rest of the school year due to COVID-19, I immediately thought about trying Revolution Math for my third grader, Noah, because I've heard it recommended by many of my friends who I trust and who have loved it for their kids. I'm a former high school English teacher, so I love sitting down with my kids and helping them with reading and writing. But math is way outside my comfort zone, especially because kids are taught to solve math problems very differently now than they were taught to solve them when we were kids. So I signed Noah up for a one-month trial, and we're right in the middle of it now. So far, I've been really impressed that the live online classes are interactive and they're small with the same teacher each week. And Noah has been impressed by the story-based curriculum and math games. You can try out Revolution Math with us this month for only $1 by using the code 3 and 30 The month trial includes four one-hour classes and a complimentary learning kit mailed to your home. It's a great deal for $1 to try this out. So if math isn't your strong suit or if you just like your child to have more support during this time away from school, try Revolution Math this month with me and Noah. Go to revolutionmath.com and don't forget to enter the code 3in30 at checkout. I will put all of that information in the show notes. 
And now here's my conversation with Angela about outdoor play for children. We spend the first half of the interview talking about why it matters so much, but don't worry. The second half is full of practical tips and takeaways for how we can get our kids to do it. So stay tuned to the end and I hope you enjoy this conversation. Hi, Angela. Welcome to 3 and 30 Podcast. Thank you for having me today. And I just want to start by saying how impactful your presentation was that I saw all those years ago. I mean, almost nothing sticks in a mom's brain for four years. <laughs> and, I, and I've immersed myself in so much parent education in the years since. So you'd think that a, a one-hour presentation would sort of be lost in there. <laughs> but it's always stayed with me, which just is an indication of how much it impacted me. So thank you for the work that you're doing for families. Oh, thank you so much. So I want to start off by giving this community, the three and 30 listeners, kind of an overview of what you taught us that night in Twin Falls. And I don't know if you, do you even remember going to Twin Falls, Idaho all those years ago? I do. It's a beautiful, <laughs> okay, beautiful location. Yeah, it really is. And um, can you just give us a little background on what you taught us there that just how children's bodies in this generation are changing and what does it have to do with outdoor play? Absolutely. So I guess I'll dive right in with some of the most essential components of that. Okay. Um, one of the biggest issues that is happening is actually that children's movement opportunities are really being restricted. Mm. So they're, they're often contained um, either in a seat or they're um, not allowed to move freely, I guess. Mm -hmm. So they're often in classrooms or they're in front of a screen. And because of that, they're usually in an upright position. And what needs to actually happen is kids need about three hours of outdoor play um, in order to get vigorous movement opportunities. So they need to spin in circles. They need to go upside down. They need to jump off things. But inside the inner ear are little hair cells. And the reason why they need to move a lot is because the fluid needs to move back and forth in the inner ear to stimulate the little hair cells in there. And what that does is it develops your vestibular sense. And that sense is, is actually key to sensory integration and organization of the brain. And it lays the foundation for learning. So if your brain isn't organized, um, it's very hard to pay attention. It's very hard to learn. Wow. One thing that vestibular sense does, if, if children get, get um, given plenty of movement opportunities, is it actually helps a child to know where their body is in space so it helps them from um, to be able to get from point A to point B safely, to get on and off playground equipment efficiently, um, to navigate their environments without tripping and falling. Mm -hmm. So, and that's something that we're actually seeing an increase in um, children having difficulty with. So it's one of the number one things we have to treat as occupational therapists is their balance. So often we're found in clinic settings and we'll have, if you go in a sensory clinic where a lot of occupational therapists work, we have swings hanging from our ceilings. And what we do is we purposely place children in all different positions and we spin them so that they have a really good sense of where their body is in space. So sometimes I'll hear an adult say, don't spin, you're going to get dizzy or get down from that rock, you're going to get hurt. But if we constantly keep them from moving in those different ways, what happens is the adult becomes a barrier to that neurological development and children become more and more unsafe when navigating their environment. So it is really key that we allow them to roll down the hill and spin in circles till they get really dizzy, fall, get back up and spin again. 
because uh, that actually does help them become safer um, in their environments. Yeah. And I remember you saying in the presentation that kids, it's, it's kind of a vicious cycle. They don't have the balance that they used to have because they're not getting the outdoor play that they used to in previous generations. So they do fall and get hurt more easily. So then adults keep them off of these, this equipment or in these situations right. because they know they're going to fall, but they wouldn't fall if they were given the opportunity to develop those, the balance and the skills that they need. Is that right? How Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So they'd be less likely to be yeah <laughs> clumsy and falling all the time. Yeah, yes. Definitely. What do you do with that when you're nervous about them I mean, how do you handle your own anxiety as a parent to let them do these things that might seem dangerous? Well, I think when people truly understand um, how important that move, those movement opportunities are, then they're less likely to interfere with it because mm. we want children to be, become safer. And so the only way we can do that is actually allow them to move in ways that actually make adults gasp. <laughs> but it's really that knowledge. That knowledge is so key because we don't realize what we're doing. If we're trying to bubble, bubble wrap them, you know, and keeping, mm -hmm. the, keeping them from uh, doing any challenges to their neurological system, they do become more and more unsafe. Yeah. Yeah. And so much of playground equipment now, they're taking away the things that are, quote, dangerous, but that would help them to develop this, these um, systems of the body, right? Absolutely. Like the merry ground is one that uh, really mimics a, an exercise that we do as therapists where we spin a child around and around. It creates a centrifugal force in the inner ear for children. Mm -hmm. And it's mm -hmm. one of the most powerful vestibular inputs we can give kids is, is the, um, the merry ground. Mm -hmm. And so, but it, ironically, yeah, we've taken it away, deemed it unsafe, but that was one of those things that actually helped ch children with um, attention and grounding. So, you know, if they're off the wall type thing <laughs> to really come back down again. So interesting. So, and then what does specifically outdoor play have to do with this versus getting it in, uh, you know, in the therapy office or somewhere like that? How does being outside help them to develop these oh, sure. abilities? So outdoor play, um, the nice thing about stepping outdoors is that you have much more space to move around uh, freely. Mm -hmm. So it does um, support movement opportunities. But not only that, um, it is also um, incredibly therapeutic to be in nature. Um, something as simple as hearing bird sounds actually helps a child to know where their body is in space as well. For instance, mm -hmm. if you are standing outside and you hear a bird tweeting in one direction and then a bird tweeting behind you and another one in the distance, what you're doing is you're orient orienting yourself to the noise, the, the bird sounds around you. So that orientation is actually the first step to spatial awareness. Mm -hmm. Another thing is when you walk outdoors, the ground is uneven. It's not like inside a school where everything is level and you really don't have to think about it much. Mm. When you step outdoors, there's hills, there's uneven terrain. And so your body is constantly adjusting to the terrain and your muscles. And so that also helps with balance and challenging the senses and the muscles. Yeah. Wow. Another thing that happens is you have multiple senses engaged when you step outside. And again, that's going to help organize the brain and help set you up for sensory integration. Mm. Yeah. Um, and an ideal state to be in for a child to have that integration of the senses 
again, organization of the brain is to be in a calm but alert state. So again, you think of outdoor stimuli such as um, bird sounds, crashing waves, all of that is calming stimuli. You go for massage and you often hear nature sounds playing yeah. in the background. Um, we know that certain smells of trees actually reduce the cortisol levels in the brain. Mm. So, so out being outside is calming, but you're still alert because, you know, an animal might run by, um, the ground is uneven, so you have to pay attention. And that happens to be ideal for sensory in in integration for children. Wow. I mean, this is just so compelling. This is why I walked away. <laughs> knowing that we needed a change in our house and we needed more time outdoors. I feel like I remember something from your presentation about how um, kids hit harder. Like they don't have a sense of their own strength and where their body is in space. So they're more likely to hit harder, like in a game of dodgeball or tag or something than they otherwise yeah. would if they were playing outside more. Can you explain more of that? If I'm getting, even sure. getting that right. Yeah, sure. So there's uh, another sense in our body called the proprioceptive sense, and that's the senses in your joints and muscles. And that is actually stimulated and worked on when children do, we call it heavy work in the field of occupational therapy. So when kids are getting resistance to their muscles and joints, so um, carrying heavy pails of water is an example of heavy work or mowing the lawn, like getting that resistance of pushing the lawn mower. Um, climbing trees, you're getting nice resistance to the joints and muscles. And all of that is really important for children to know where their limbs are in relation to each other, but also to know how much force to use. So when, you know, writing with a pencil that they don't break the lead every time, or maybe they're not writing um, hard enough. If they hold a baby chick that they don't squeeze too hard. Um, when they go to play tag, um, we're learning that kids are starting to hit with much more force. And um, so they're starting to ban tag in school, not knowing why this is happening, saying, okay, kids are getting more and more aggressive. But the, the underlying reason is because a lot of these kids are not getting um, a lot of heavy work. They're not getting resistance to their joints and muscles because a lot of kids are are sedentary most of the day. They're seated um, for a good portion of the day. And then a lot of kids are spending time on electronics. And so pushing buttons and writing does not give you heavy work and resistance. So those muscles are and um, senses are underdeveloped in a lot of children. And so that's why we're seeing a little bit more um, difficulties with regulating that force. Wow. And so you've developed a, I mean, you, you call it a camp like Timbernook or tell us a little bit about your program that you've developed sure. to kind of combat this. Right. So about 10, 11 years ago, oh my goodness, um, <laughs> I started a program in my backyard, um, you know, as an occupational therapist for children, because I, you know, I noticed that there was a decrease in outdoor play. And so as an experiment, I started this program for children in my community. And what happened is um, it got really popular quickly. And I had um, a couple of therapists reach out saying, can we replicate your program? This is really unique for our profession because we're often actually found indoors. Mm -hmm. uh, occupational therapists are usually in hospitals or we're in schools or in clinic settings, but we're not often outdoors. And so that's when I knew that this was something unique for our profession, and I decided to license a program. So it's a program that um, it can be in the form of summer camps. It's also um, year-round forest programming. It's also in the form of birthday parties. But it's and also we're certifying schools to do this program now. Okay. And what it is is 
as outdoor play experiences mm-hmm. that are, um, they're process oriented and they're child driven. So the child doesn't go home with a product, but they have an amazing experience mm. such as um, recreating three little pigs, the story, three little pigs mm-hmm. in the woods where they're building um, real homes out of bales of hay and real bricks and sticks in the woods. So they're engaging the senses, but they're also having a real play experience. It's not um, just mimicking it on, on a small scale. Yeah. How incredible. And, and I hope everybody will go and look and check if there's a Timbernook program near them. But the, the takeaways that we want to provide moms with today are ways that we can integrate some of the types of principles that you use in Timbernook, um, in the home environment, right. That yes. we can, you'll give us some tips because I know, so many of us, we want our kids to play outside, but I have this experience all the time. I send my kids out there and they come back in five minutes later and say that they're bored. And yes. I'm like, go play, go play. So <laughs> how, what are your strategies? And you're going to give us three takeaways for how to get them to actually engage out there for long enough to get some of the benefits of this outdoor play. Yes, definitely. So the first one would be, um, to really consider having some sort of um, loose parts outside. And what those are, are basically they're, they're not toys, but they're materials that can be used for multiple purposes. So some examples that we use at Timberneck are wooden planks, or we might use uh, curtains, old curtains that we got at Goodwill and washed. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. It might be um, old kitchenware that, you know, stainless steel kitchenware outside. Um, and we might place it near a mud puddle to kind of inspire play. But it's materials that inspire different sorts of play. And the nice thing about loose parts is that they have many, many purposes. So one example of a loose part that everyone, almost everyone has in their backyard, if you have access to a backyard, is sticks. Mm-hmm. And so a stick is um, has many, we call it affordances. So if you, let's say you, you tell your child go outside and they don't have a lot of practice yet, they might go outside and see sticks, leaves, rocks and go, okay, there's nothing to do. And they go back in. But what they really, what, um, what you want to do is, you know, have them have more opportunities for outdoor play. And let's say they go back out and they are bored and they sit in the dirt and they pick up a stick and they start digging in the dirt with it. And they realize, oh, I have one affordance, one idea um, that I can use this stick as a digging tool. And then maybe there's another child over playing and they see that child using a stick um, as a method to build forts with. And they realize, oh, I have two ideas on how to use sticks. And so the more exposure they get to that particular uh, material or loose part, um, and the more practice they get with it, the more affordances they get. And that's how you get creativity. So they get more and more ideas. So the nice thing about Timbernook is you have multiple children of mixed ages and they see these children using loose parts in multiple different ways. And they get, um, and in, creativity goes through the roof because yeah. of the, the type of environment they're exposed to. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so tires are another big one, but anything that children 
can use to um, to play with or inspire different sorts of play scenarios. Yeah, and I know that a lot of the Timber Nook philosophy is kind of adults need adults should stay out of the way. You know, like we shouldn't right. we shouldn't tell them what to use the loose parts for. We should really let them direct their own imagination and play. Is it okay to kind of get them started, especially in the beginning when they haven't had a lot of experience with loose parts and they haven't developed this creativity yet? Is it okay for a parent to say, could you do this with this or that with this? Actually, that's a really good question. Um, I think it would be actually ideal not to do that because when, when the adults start doing that, they become the idea giver and then the child starts to, and I actually used to do that a long time ago with my children. And then Mm -hmm. um, my daughter became really reliant on me for ideas. Um, Mm -hmm. So what we noticed over the years with Timbernook is if we backed up and we, um, we reduce the adult presence out there, they, the children actually turn to each other for ideas. Um, so another, so that leads me to another idea is, um, so this is takeaway two, right? Yeah. Takeaway two. (laughs) So takeaway two is that, um, consider inviting children over for the day. Mm. So instead of doing play dates, I guess they call them right. And, you know, short play dates, um, I would, you know, what I used to do with my children, uh, they're now, um, in their teens, older ones, but is I would invite kids over for the whole day. Mm. And so they, when they have, um, friends over, they tend to entertain each other a little more and the environment is more, um, conducive to true neighborhood play where if it's even better if you have mixed ages, but have multiple children over. And what happens is if you put loose parts out there and you have, now you have multiple children, you'll start seeing that they inspire each other to use the materials in different ways. Mm, How interesting. And, and I would think, especially if you know that there's a kid who does this pretty naturally, um, have that kid over to play, (laughs) you know, like, (laughs) like my, my son is, I mean, he would be in heaven in Timbernook. And this is just kind of how he is. He like gets out, goes out there and we have a huge right now. It's kind of like a lame as Rob um, barricade that he's built outside. He's never seen, he's never seen lame as Rob, but like everybody who, who sees it is start singing like one day more or whatever. You know? And he even had put a flag up and everything, but that's just how Noah is. And so, but a lot of my friends will say, like, how did you get him to do that? I'm like, well, we should just have Noah over to play for the day. It would give me an opportunity to get some work done and it might inspire some, some creative play from your kids. So Absolutely. yeah, if you know of a kid that does this kind of naturally, maybe have them over is an idea. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and, um, I think, a like another component to that is the stepping back piece. Mm. Um, because you started talking about that. And I think that if you don't have like, if you don't have other children over, Mm. you can go out with them and just, um, it will lead to my point three, but you can stage the environment a little more purposefully. Mm. Um, and then, but you, you definitely would probably want to go out in the beginning and, um, but keep yourself a little bit busy. So you could be raking or shoveling or, you know, doing something so that you're not the one having to direct. And then you kind of phase yourself out over time. Yeah. And um, you kind of go back further and then eventually you can go in the house. Yeah, because that's Um, that's so true that like uh, a lot of times they want to be where you are. 
So they might not stay outside very long if you're inside. My, My daughter went to a Waldorf preschool, and I remember her preschool teacher telling me that, that they would just, she and the other teacher would just go out and rake or do gardening or whatever. And cause the kids wanted to be where they were, but then the kids would start playing intently with each other. Yes. So one question, um, it's, it's an interesting time right now with COVID-19 and quarantine. And so it's a lot harder to have play dates right now with other children. Um, what if you have an only child and you can't have play dates at this time or at some time in the future for whatever reason. Um, what do you do then? Yeah. So that brings me to my, my third takeaway. Mm-hmm. Um, and that would be kind of setting the environment up a little more purposefully so that if you don't have another, other children to inspire, you have the environment to inspire mm-hmm. and that can actually happen indoors or outdoors. So there's, there's a lot of popularity surrounding mud kitchens, mm-hmm. but I feel like that's, I mean, we have, I'm trying to think of how many different play experiences we have. It must, must be like at least 500 play experiences, but we, and mud kitchen is one, you know, so there's so many different opportunities to inspire different kinds of play. And Mm -hmm. so really starting to think about that a little bit more and getting creative with what, what kind of offering you're, you're setting up for them. So, Mm -hmm. so mud kitchen is like the easiest one, but you might change it up a little bit where it might be um, more like food items that are in your outdoor kitchen or indoor kitchens, right? So you might set up um, like a little table that's low to the ground or maybe it's on the ground, but you would stage it so it's really inviting. So they call they call this invitations to play. Mm-hmm. And um, you might put like doilies out or, you know, having a little tea set, maybe having some flour um, or some Play-Doh um, set up out there. Um, maybe there's a vase with flowers and there's maybe if you're outside, there could be like a container with water in it. And so they start experimenting like enough so that they're really like, wow, this, this looks like really a lot of fun. And what we'll often do is say you have the opportunity to play with anything you see out here. Mm. So it's an open invitation. And so children, because one of the first thing we learned was kids weren't used to um, being able to make a big mess (laughs) Mm -hmm. and play um, with some of the materials that we usually put out there. Um, So the, those are some very simple ideas of, you know, just playing around with different types of materials that um, would be fun. Another one is fort building, which you could really do indoors or outdoors, but making it just more obvious, like putting a pile of sheets out there, a pile of different kinds of really fun sheets, maybe some different um, fake candles that um, like in that, that area, but kind of staging it and saying, you can use anything you see here. And just see what the kids come up with on their own. Mm-hmm. And they'll often come up with something completely different than what you would originally think. Yeah. Um, but that's what's really special about it. And do you have a list somewhere of of some of these ideas? I mean, I know you said you have 500 of them in the Timbernook curriculum. <laughs> I'm, I don't really expect a list of 500 of them. But but is there a list like in your book or on, on your website if moms want to just kind of get their creative juices going of these sure. inspiration for play? So we don't, we don't have our curriculum out for the public, but however we are because of this time um, and we aren't able to run, a lot of our sites can't run Timbernook mm-hmm. right now. Yeah. A lot of our providers are actually contributing and doing videos and staging an experience and um, sending a list of materials. So it's on our Facebook page. Oh, so great. if, 
if people are on Facebook, they can find that. And there's an actual video, a story that goes with it, and then a play experience. Okay. And so that's like what you do with the three little pigs. You, I mean, you read them the story and then all the materials are there and they just have at it. And do you tell them, go build these three houses of the pigs, or you just let them sort of figure it out after they hear the story? Yeah. So, um, so we tell them that they have the opportunity to build their own, their own houses. Okay. And, um, whether they do it or not, it doesn't really matter, but, um, yeah. So it's all about not having the opportunity. Yeah. That's so great. And I, um, have to say we had a mud kitchen birthday party for my daughter recently. Um, and that was because I saw it at the farmer's market here in our town. Somebody had set one up and the kids just loved it. And I thought it was the cutest ever. So then we recreated it for her birthday party and the kids just loved it. Like you said, they're not used to being able to just go to town with mud, but, um, we actually borrowed all of the stuff from the farmer's market. The lady was so nice to let us borrow it, but there was a little table and like a little sink that they could, um, put the mud in and pie tins and, and they just had a ball. So I love that idea. And so just, I think moms can get creative with this, but giving this inspiration for play. It is, it is a lot to clean up sometimes, yes. but um, <laughs> what, what are your, what are your thoughts on that with the cleanup? Yeah. Well, I think that that's the appeal to doing it outside yes. <laughs> yes. because it's really not a big deal if they get messy and then you're not trying to control and then the adults not stepping in as much. So if you can get outdoors, it's easier to do it outside. If not, then you might think about play opportunities like building forts and stuff might not mm-hmm. be messy. Indoors. Yeah. Oh, that's true. And, you know, I do think it's one of those things, like you said about once you have awareness around why it matters, you're more willing to let it happen. You know, like yes. you were saying that with the quote, dangerous play. I mean, we don't want dangerous play, but maybe slightly right. more <laughs> risky, but I think Absolutely. that's true for messes too, that sometimes I'm like, okay, it's so good for them. I can handle, you know, spraying off the tarps and everything after with the mud everywhere after the mud birthday party. Yes. Well, thank you so much for coming on and um, giving us these takeaways. I know that a lot of moms are going to feel inspired like I did to really involve more outdoor play within their family and life. Is there, are there any other final thoughts you have about, about this topic before we say goodbye? I think that if um, they want inspiration, that Facebook is probably the place to go. Also for research, that we do a lot of articles on the latest research for outdoor play on there as well. Okay, great. Well, thank you so much for your time and for coming on 3 and 30. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Friends, I hope this conversation inspires you to push through your kids whining when you insist that they go outside to play. Or is that just my kids? (laughs) I found with my kids that if I give them a time limit that they have to stay outside and I endure their whining and boredom for the first little bit, they then start getting creative and finding stuff to do. I'm so fortunate to live in a beautiful mountain town in Idaho with lots of woods and rivers. And after recording this interview, I was thinking that one day next week, maybe I should just pack up my work stuff and a picnic and go to a scenic spot with them for the day letting them know that I will be working and they will be playing. And of course, I can take breaks and read to them occasionally or engage with them. But for the most part, I'll be doing my thing and they will have unlimited space and time to get creative and engage with each other outside. My guess is that they will whine about it and drag their feet at first, and then they'll end up having the time of their lives, building and exploring together, 
while I read or write on a blanket nearby. And if this brilliant plan doesn't work, oh well, we tried and we can try again another time. Sometimes stuff just takes some time to get used to and a little bit of training and coaching for the kids. As a quick reminder before we end, these were Angela's three takeaways for how to get your kids to play outside. First, make loose parts available to them. Remember, these are materials that they can carry around with them and use to build different types of structures, materials that can be used in multiple ways, such as sticks, sheets, boards, tires, and buckets. Our area for loose parts is like around the side of the house, so it's not an eyesore. We don't have a very big backyard. But we have an area that's by the, around the side of the house where we keep a lot of our loose parts, and they can make it as messy as they want, and that's where their barricade is built right now. Second, invite children over to play for the day, not just for a few hours. When you invite them to play for the day, you give them time outside and loose parts, and they really have the time and space to see what they can come up with. And third, purposefully stage the outdoor environment to invite play. You can place fort building supplies out there or mud kitchen supplies and see if it inspires them to come up with something to do. I'd love to hear how this goes for you this week and if you have any ideas to add for how you get your kids to engage in the outdoors. The best place to join in the conversation about episodes is on Instagram, where there's a very active community of mothers who listen to 3 and 30, supporting each other and adding their insights about episodes. So go ahead and find me there at the handle 3 and 30 podcast. Moms, I'm rooting for you. I know this work we do with our kids isn't easy, and there are going to be some days when they are indoors watching screens for most of the day, and that's okay. But I hope that this episode inspires you to do what you can to get them outdoors more often, and I hope that you have a beautiful week with your family.